The first thread I want to emphasize in this series of messages is the thread of worship. Jesus said in John 4, verse 23, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I've entitled this particular study, Rebels in Recovery. God is on a mission. He's passionately seeking people disconnected from him by sin that he might restore them to their divinely intended identity as worshipers. God desires to make worshipers out of rebels. It's been said that missions exist because worship doesn't. But take note, it's worshipers that God seeks, not worship. Though God commands worship, he doesn't need our worship. We can no more diminish God by refusing to worship than we can diminish the sun by closing the blinds. Despite the libelous accusations of atheists and others, God's not a narcissistic prima donna with an insatiable appetite for attention. It's worshipers he seeks. Worshipers are people who've surrendered their hearts to their creator so he can establish an intimate relationship with them and align their lives with everything eternal and good in his creation. In short, worship isn't for God's ego, but for our freedom. Life works when we worship. That's why God desires worshipers. But his desire doesn't mean he's willing to become a spiritual toxic waste site. Despite the presumptions of human arrogance, God won't accept toxic, pseudo-spiritual rubbish in place of true worship. The notion that people should worship God in their own way is an untenable, unbiblical contradiction. If God is God, I don't do anything my way. Jesus said, true worship conforms to God's word and God's spirit. If we insist on defining worship, it indicates we haven't surrendered our hearts. Then it's our own will that we worship rather than God. And then our worship is merely an expression of rebellion. God made that clear in the account of Cain and Abel in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Cain wanted to worship God in his own fashion and substituted a green offering for God's required animal sacrifice. His worship was rejected. His heart was troubled. And in jealousy, he murdered his brother, who was a true worshiper. Now, having defined worshipers, let me suggest the definition for corporate worship that's based on Scripture's original languages. Corporate worship is the activity whereby people restored by God assemble to offer him humble expressions of love and praise and sacrificial deeds of service. And God has declared that corporate worship is not an option. It's indispensable, according to Hebrews 10:25. And here's why. We take on the characteristics of what we worship.
either for ruin or restoration. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following support that. If we worship our broken, sinful selves by acting like we don't need to obey or even acknowledge God, we become even more broken and sinful. Romans 1 makes that clear. And Romans 1 reveals why our contemporaries think and act in such clearly destructive patterns. Our problems aren't essentially political, economic, social, or educational. Our problem is misplaced worship. That's the root of our cultural dysfunction. Centuries ago in Isaiah 6, the prophet portrayed a similar scenario in explicit language. He said his contemporaries worshipped carved images with eyes that didn't see and ears that didn't hear, and soon became people with eyes that couldn't see God's deliverance and ears that couldn't hear his offer of restoration. You and I were created in the image of an awesome God, and we're intended to soar in glorious, eternal existence. Yet we find ourselves struggling to even get off the ground, to grasp the phenomenal implications of creation, because sin has distorted God's image in us and distorted our thinking, making it difficult for us to conceive anything better. We have embraced sin's lies. The following definition from Dr. Richard Dobbins explains this dynamic. I quote him, Sin is an invisible power that emanates from Satan. It stimulates the brain to think in terms of urges, thoughts, fantasies, or ideas, which detract from and diminish a person's divinely given potential. End quote. When our lives are controlled by sin, we attempt to deal with our deep hunger for God by jumping from one inadequate substitute to another. And these always prove to be trite and flimsy at best, or degrading and enslaving at worst. Or we attempt to suppress our longing only to find it keeps resurfacing. In contrast, Dr. Dobbins defines eternal life this way, quote, Eternal life is an invisible power that resides in and emanates from Jesus Christ. It stimulates the brain to think in terms of urges, thoughts, fantasies, and ideas, which enhance and develop a person's divinely given potential, end quote. Once we receive the gift of eternal life, our spiritual eyes are opened. And we recognize that if our yearnings for God can't be satisfied by the world, and nothing in the world can push those yearnings underground, we must be intended and created for another world. That world, in its ultimate expression, still lies ahead of us to be initiated by the second coming of Christ. While we wait for it, while we live in the great until, Worship is where we remind ourselves that that world exists and it is certainly coming. Worship is where we punch through sin's lies and take limited, 
but transforming glances at eternal life. As we do, we become like our Father. Worship is where we defragment our spiritual hard drives by bringing order to the chaos and accumulated clutter of sin's influence. It's God's app for addressing blurred truth and growth slowed to a snail's pace. It's where we remind ourselves the smartest, most powerful being in the universe knows us by name, loves us with an everlasting love, and has ordained for us a life that can only be described as abundant. Worship is where we glimpse God's true identity and thus move a bit closer to our own. Without worship, we go about as misguided rebels. In worship, we recover life's meaning. That's why the thread of worship must be a part of our discipleship.